The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. I'm delighted we're joined by Phil McNulty who's the chief football writer of the BBC and who is a Liverpool fan and that is relevant and by Jim White Daily Telegraph columnist and as we know from previous appearances on this programme very much a Manchester United book but they've come together in the greatest collaboration since Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville together on television to produce the book Red on Red Liverpool, Manchester United and the fiercest rivalry in world football Phil, is it really the fiercest rivalry because I'm sure there are people in Glasgow who disagree and the fans of Real Madrid and Barcelona, for example. Well, we've certainly had a reaction to calling it that, as you two you've mentioned there. And we've had others suggesting um, Boca and River Plate. And at a meeting we had the other night, Wrexham and Tranmere Rovers was mentioned. <laughs> but I, I think we, we stand by it and we stand by it really because of the the global relevance and the global reach of this particular game. Um, Jim will explain in a minute a story that he he was party to himself that perhaps illustrates the strength and the reach of the rivalry. But in the book, we, we speak to Danny Murphy, who, who was on safari, and then he, he, was, he was on the Masai Mara, and a Masai Mara in full dress came up to him, pointed at him, and said, Danny Murphy, Manchester United, because Danny had scored three winning goals at Old Trafford, a rare feat indeed. Um, and he, you know, he said he was amazed that somebody so far away um, was able to just pick out one memory and it was Liverpool and Manchester United. So I certainly stand by what we've called it and, and I can bring Jim in to give you another illustration of, of why we feel we're, we're justified in that description. Jim? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you looked at the pre-season... Manchester United played Liverpool in Thailand and the entire city of Bangkok came to um, a grinding halt as a result. I think 75,000 people turned up to the stadium and the prices were through the roof for tickets. They met the teams at the airport. There were people on the street chanting at each other. You know, this has international resonance. There are huge supporters clubs in, in, in Scandinavia. And, and I was in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia uh, once recently. And in the main square there, there were, there were temporary stands, but a, a big screen. And I said, oh, what's that for? And they said, oh, it's Manchester United against Liverpool uh, at the weekend. Um, and uh, I said, oh, so they always have a big, uh, th- th- this up to there. No, no, it's only for that match. I said, what, what, not even for Barcelona, Real Madrid, the Champions League final? No, 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 only that much. And apparently in Addis, there are gangs who identify with Liverpool, gangs who identify with United. And when they play each other, it becomes a big domestic story. And I don't think those other rivalries you talked about have that resonance. I, you know, Rangers Celtic is huge in, in, in Glasgow and, and, and big in Ireland and, and parts of Canada and so on. And Booker Juniors, obviously, River Plate is vibrant, exciting and so on. But I don't think those people in Addis Ababa would know what those two games are. And, and even Real Madrid-Barcelona, which is globally huge, doesn't get the same TV audiences as United Liverpool. This is the one that has that global meaning. But Phil, tell us a little bit though as well about how sometimes the enmity on the pitch becomes a sort of a catalyst for bad behaviour among some of the fans. Well, I think certainly in the 70s and up to the mid-80s, um, there was a lot of antipathy in the 60s. 
there was mutual respect perhaps between the two managers who were great friends. So Matt Busby was an outstanding player for Liverpool and captain of Liverpool, which people seem to forget because he's so inexorably linked to Manchester United. And, and he was one of the people who recommended to the Liverpool board of directors that they should appoint Bill Shankly when he was manager at Huddersfield Town. Uh, but one of the, the games we, we home in on and one I sort of had personal experience of was uh, the 1985 FA Cup semi-final at Goodison Park. I was working at that time as a news reporter on the local morning paper in Liverpool. Um, this game became infamous for, for, the, for the violence and the hooliganism uh, that took place before, during and after. And on the Monday morning, we were called to a press conference by Merseyside Police and they laid out what they called the weaponry and the armoury that, that was being used by fans at the game. Um, one, of the, one of the very sinister weapons that, that stood out most and gained an awful lot of publicity at the time and infamy uh, were golf balls with, with nails knocked into them, um, which were, were thrown... Uh, around and you can only imagine the damage and, and that, that they could cause and certainly I think a build up through the 70s towards that 85 uh, semi-final um, I think that was the, the nadir of it all really but, I mean, again Jim can trace it back possibly even further but certainly it was 70s into the 80s when it was at its worst Jim this book focuses on games, particular 10 particular games and you start in the 1970s don't you? Yes, that's right. I mean, as Phil pointed out, you know, in the 60s, there was a lot of mutual respect. And if there was animosity at either club, it was against Dirty Leeds and Don Revy. Um, but Liverpool and United, United um, players, United players like Dennis Wall, Pat Crone, used to go to Anfield and stand on a cop and watch Liverpool. Uh, and, and, and Phil um, will tell you, um, that's not likely to happen these days. You know, you can't imagine... Um, Harry Maguire turning up and paying at the gate and going to watch a game at Anfield. So it, it's, um, it, you know, it, it was a, a huge change. And we reckon 1971 was a, a, a vital date because United had a hooligan problem, the Docks Red Army and, and so on, and they were causing trouble around the country. And Old Trafford was um, shut down uh, for a couple of games as a punishment. I think a knife had been thrown onto the pitch. And United had to play their league home team 35 miles away. Someone thought it would be a good idea to play at Anfield. So the United hooligan mob turned up at Anfield to watch a home game, Manchester United against Arsenal. And the local Liverpool guys weren't having that. And about 2,000 Liverpool skinheads uh, went into the cop and chased the United fans out of the cop. We're not having that. We're not having you in our territory. And I think that was really where it all sparked off. But the interesting thing about United and Liverpool is they're very rarely in an ascendance at the same time. They very rarely hit a big game where there's big numbers of both in a neutral stadium. I think the two League Cup finals, two FA Cup finals, that's it. And once in the, uh, in the Europa League that they've met. And so the 77 Cup final is where we start because this was the point where they first met in a big game with big crowds. And remind me, United won that one? They did indeed. They, yes, they, they, they won. They, they did. Yes, they did, Phil. <laughs> I know, we, we, we speak to um, the, the Metropolitan Mayor of Liverpool, and I won't use the phrase he used to describe the quality of United's goals in that game, but, but let's just say it was uh, 
it was not complimentary, but it was again there was a wider significance to that game in that it transpired that it was Tommy Doherty's last game um, as Manchester United manager because I think it's well known his personal life became somewhat entangled, and it also United's victory stops Liverpool winning the treble, which United later won the FA Cup, the title, and the European Cup or Stroke Champions League. That is regarded as the treble and is still the thing they claim as their own because Liverpool have never been able to achieve it. But interestingly enough, the Manchester United players we spoke to in, who played in that game, Arthur Alberston, Lou Macari, Martin Buchan, the significance for them wasn't stopping Liverpool or stopping Liverpool's treble. It was all to do with putting matters right because they'd lost and played very poorly in the FA Cup final against Southampton the year before. At that time, it was all about putting that wrong right. And it was only later when Lou Macari and Martin Buchan um, in the passage of time, Manchester United fans now stopped them and thanked them for stopping Liverpool winning the treble that United now claim as their own and still claim as their own. At the time, they were, if you like, settling a little local difficulty by trying to make sure they won the cup final rather than slip up as they did the year before, as opposed to stopping Liverpool winning this golden treble, which of course they then... Uh, at least got two parts of it because they went on to win the European Cup the following Wednesday night against Borussia Mönchengladbach in Rome. Jim, the point you make about neither team or the two teams not vying for supremacy is a very interesting one now that I think of it because during all those years that Liverpool were dominant, there was the long 30 years plus in which Manchester United didn't win the league title. Then Liverpool went from 1990 to 2022 before winning the title, or 2020, excuse me, for winning the title. Uh, and we're making do perhaps with European triumphs that Manchester United might have envied. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. We reckon that there's just not enough oxygen in the northwest to sustain both of them on the up. And it's almost that when one is on the up, the other goes into reverse. It's relative decline compared to some clubs, but we've got it at the moment. You know, in the noughties and the nineties, United were in the ascendant, Liverpool were were struggling to catch up and it's in complete opposite now. What's interesting is at those points where one is really doing well and the other isn't, the United-Liverpool rivalry is still the one that matters. We speak to Gary Neville in, in the book, in the course of the book, and he says that in the early noughties when United were vying for the title with Arsenal, with, with Chelsea, it was always Liverpool who he used, he says in his words, were in the rearview mirror. They were the ones that they were worried about, that they wanted to... And they were the ones when they had a game against them. Sir Alex Ferguson used to wind them up. There was trepidation. There was fear. And I think now it's the same. You know, I think on Monday night when they play, um, I think Liverpool fans will be, you know, even slightly nervous about the game because for them, Manchester City... Yes, of course, Manchester City are the, are, the, are the rivals in terms of winning the league, and even in terms of winning the Champions League. But they're not the rivals in their heart. They're not the rivals in their guts. It's Manchester United who matter. And, and, and that's a really weird thing, but they've never had that kind of tit-for-tat thing that Liverpool and City have got at the moment, yet they're always the ones that are in the back of their, each other's minds. Phil, Jim has certainly slightly preempted the question I was just about to ask you, and that was about the sort of the queering of the pitch caused by Manchester City, because 
Hasn't that changed an awful lot of the dynamics in English football, Northwest England in particular, in that of the three, Manchester City now look to be the dominant party? I think what we found in the course of speaking to people was that, yes, Manchester City is the big rivalry in the football context at the moment, but Liverpool and Manchester United, the fans we spoke to, the ex-players, everybody, that is still regarded as the real rivalry. Liverpool and Manchester United, as, as Jim said, they've never been in ascendance at the same time. And we spoke to a guy called Robbie O'Neill, who's an actor from Liverpool, and he said that if Liverpool and Manchester United had had the sort of last day, last 20 minutes, in fact, last season, title races, he said they'd be making films about it. it they would be so exciting and the, and the hype and the emotion around it. So that still hasn't kicked in with Manchester City yet. It might be the younger generation, but a phrase that many people used to us um, about Liverpool and Manchester City in comparison to Liverpool and Manchester United was you can't invent a rivalry. There's just not that history between the clubs that we've talked about. There's not that antipathy between the clubs and the supporters and the players that, 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 that built up over the many years between Liverpool and Manchester United. Yes, Manchester City have changed the dynamic in that they were the so-called noisy neighbours who are now, you know, one of the outstanding teams in, in, in the world. They've won the Premier League for the last five seasons. But the real rivalry is still Liverpool and Manchester United. And even though Manchester United are currently in these reduced circumstances, I think it will be a very, very long time before that dynamic changes in terms of what the real rivalry is in the North West. Jim White and Phil McNulty, thank you so much. The book is Red on Red, Liverpool-Manchester United and the fiercest rivalry in world football. And of course, that is on television after 8 o'clock this evening. We'll see if tonight's game ends up making any subsequent editions of the book. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.